All right, people, I'm going to make this quick, but for the next six weeks or so, starting February 1st, I'm putting all my show outlines up for auction. I've mentioned before that I have a very strict routine for preparing for and recording THC episodes, and part of that process, 95% of the time going back many years, has been waking up early on the days I record and compiling my notes into a roughly four to six page outline that I print out and conduct the interviews from as a template. I write in the margins, I cross stuff out as we go along, I jot things down I don't want to forget, and I usually have a good deal of material in these outlines that never even makes it to air. When a show is done, I put a little staple up in the corner and throw them in a filing cabinet. Well, it's no secret I'm trying to move, and what better time to try to collect a little extra cash and offload a box of stuff I've been storing that I don't need. So I'm signing, listing, and auctioning off all the outlines I have to any listeners who might be interested in that kind of thing. Each one is totally unique with its own markings, coffee stains, beer spills, printing imperfections, typos, and maybe even doodles in some cases that were never really supposed to be seen by anyone else, but I guess that's no big deal. I know I've personally bought signed scripts before, and some of my most prized possessions are band set lists I nabbed at the end of concerts. So maybe this is something like that for podcasts? If you're into it, they will be listed at ebay.com. Yeah, I know. ebay.com slash USR slash chats. The link is at the top of the show notes as well, but it's ebay.com slash USR slash chats. And of course, I'll post the links across all the social media dystopias I have an unfortunate presence in. Again, the first batch of outlines will go up February 1st and be listed for 10 days. And I'm going to continue to put up new batches as time permits, when and where I can. And I hope to have the whole thing completed in about six to eight weeks or so. I guess I'm just out when I'm out, but if there's a specific one you might want, keep dipping in to see what's been added. There's a good chance I haven't gotten it listed yet, and a real chance I don't even have it for one reason or another. But I do have most, so just keep an eye out. Thanks in advance to anyone who picks up a little piece of THC history and contributes to the Carlwood Family Moving Fund. Alright, and that said, in more ways than one, let's get this show on the road. Enjoy. There's clearly maybe something there beyond the realm of man Until we thoroughly tested every last close chest of you I find the more you think you know, the less you really do That's true, Dr. Zion Where would we be without THC? Cause we know Back in the saddle and ready to ride from sunny San Diego, I'm Greg Carlwood, and I think it's fair to say that many of us have cultivated enough discernment to recognize the coordination between media, academia, the political class, and the capstone cabal in the present 
Knowing that nearly every new narrative we're presented with is a carefully crafted psyop designed to elicit some predetermined reaction and inch us towards some prearranged objective, because clearly we are not far from rats in the maze, victims to the push and pull of various ingrained incentives along the spectrum from pleasure to pain. But like a never-ending onion, the further you dig, the more you find new layers of just how deep this manipulation goes how long they've been working on cracking the codes to human consciousness, and how many of the things you think you know about yourself, your reality, and your history are actually just more pieces to this control puzzle that you have yet to consider. Like the iceberg analogy, the true scope of it all is hidden from even the most discerning eyes. We're served up a curated history propped up by the Diploma Mafia's reinforcement, mysterious events glossed over and erased, Energy, medicine, and true science suppressed for the oligarch's profits. Radical transformations of reality's past made trivial by the magic wand of official record and academia's experts. Our own most fundamental tendencies dissected and our mental gears greased with the oils of conformity, consumption, and complacency. Our entire organism mapped and used against us by the sorcerers of this human energy farm. Well, that is how I feel after reading the work of today's guest, an anonymous writer going only by Schwab, who has one of the most impressive Substack blogs I have stumbled upon yet. Always reminding readers we should assess our threshold for coincidence and truly question everything. He writes on a wide range of topics from astral beings and crypto terrestrials to the manipulation of the human timeline, the true purpose of the world's fairs and ultimately the transmutation of a divine reality into a dead husk, destroying myth and co-opting the human story itself. I hope you're half as psyched as I am. Let's do the damn thing. The dedicated deep diver, mystery revealer, and true opposition to the jester archons of the infinite hoax. Schwab, welcome to the higher side. Wow, thank you. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Yeah, man. I have not been this excited for an interview in a long time. Your Substack is far and away the best one I'm aware of. And getting a chance to present some of this stuff to the people is a real treat. But a lot of the content you get into is so unique. I wanted to start by getting a clearer picture of how you view reality, our place in it, and the relationship between human consciousness and physical life. Because you pepper in a lot of curious comments throughout your posts, and it might be best to just lay a base in that regard. Okay, I have a way of looking at things where I think my influences would be Jack Vallée and Marshall McLuhan, mostly, right? And I'm looking at things as we have different layers of existence. And, for example, there's a sphere of symbol and sign that we exist inside of in our minds. It's kind of like a virtual environment. Sure. I'll put it that way. And we also exist in the biosphere, the geosphere. And then on top of that is this sort of concretion, the technosphere that we're building. And we used to be able to sort of flow in between these states and have a much more fluid consciousness. But over time, I guess the veil, people say the veil is hardening or it's getting thicker. And that, I also believe that we're getting sort of smaller. We're like 
we're de-evolving physically and psychically, sort of in a fallen state. Mm. And that's causing, you know, it's one thing to get weaker and smaller and less hardy, but it's another thing that when you psychically de-evolve or, you know, I use, I use the word goblinize, it's this process of goblinization. And, you know, some people are farther along on this process than others. When that happens to you psychically, you lose your ability to remember things, to see things that are around you. And that's where a lot of the confusion comes as far as, you know, what are these different entities that we experience? What are ultra-terrestrials? What are the Magonians, for example? Like, we'll talk about that in a second. Yes, yes. And my basic, I guess my thesis is that as we sort of shrink, our consciousness shrinks, we become more afraid of death. And in order to cope with that, we dive into necromancy, uh, demonology, technology. All of these things are sort of coping mechanisms. You know, we dive into these sort of very radical departures from the past. Essentially, everything we believe today, everything of the past 150 years, 200 years, modernity is kind of a a humanistic delusion mm. in that, you know, through different things that we can do through trance, through, you know, eating the right way, getting sunlight, you can slow that process down or you can break through it and you can kind of get a glimpse or sort of remember, you know, remember what the world actually is, what's really there. You can see the sort of, like I was saying, the, the various layers of reality. For example, like a lot of the entities, you know, like UFOs and things from my point of view, and I get a lot of this from Jacques Vallée, that what we're dealing with is a very ancient phenomenon. And I think it's a sort of electrical phenomenon or electro part of what I call the electromagnetic ecology. Mm. And there are, you know, these sort of electrodynamic entities that exist and they're sort of self-perpetuating, self-regulating plasma or, you know, like just think of them as electrical entities. And we used to be able to sort of understand like what they were, you know, you could sense them, you knew what their place was, but now when we encounter them, they're just sort of terrifying and we interpret them through the lens of this other sphere. And we're not able to directly interact with the electrosphere. We're seeing it through this layer, the, the technosphere, which is dominated with ideas of UFOs, spaceships, and things. And so there's this sort of overlay. It sort of muddies the water of our perception. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think that there's always a way to sort of drill down and disregard this sort of past 200 years of coping and humanistic delusions, 
to sort of get through these things and drill down and see like what actually happened, where, where we went wrong, what the reality is. I think you can find your way back, but the key is, is to sort of start from that sort of intuitive place where you remember that, you know, none of this is real. Like these things, the sort of radical departure from our real history, the good timeline of this past 200 years, the sort of material delusion, you know, it's just sort of a dream. You sort of remember, oh, none of this is really real. To sort of re-enchant your perception and start from there. And then you just look into the past and you can find your way. And that's kind of what I do as far as my research is concerned. And I usually start from that place of like, okay, I know I can sense this isn't real. I know it's not. Let me drill down. And I always find, you know, some really interesting things. <laughs> you definitely do. And that is a, a great summary. It seems like orientation and point of view and perspective is a big part of the language you use. It's kind of the way we look at things. And that, of course, has been manipulated and directed in certain ways, which obviously we'll get into. And your work also seems to have elements of Charles Fort. I would say you throw in a little Velikovsky and dare I say David Icke at times, <laughs> but you, you use the term divine reality a couple times, which I think is kind of to say how things would be in the unmanipulated world in the past, perhaps. And uh, you talk a little bit about when you say knowing what this past was like, and we can get there through diet and getting sunlight and structured water, all these things that are just kind of having a resurgence and people figuring out that the system doesn't serve us. We actually need to get outside of those boxes and cultivate our own strength mentally, physically, our own health and all that kind of stuff. That's just really interesting that you can get to kind of human optimization and then get glimpses or echoes of this past unadulterated reality. And just to get into the Magonia stuff and add another layer to the mapping out of what reality is, this Beyond Magonia post, one of my favorites, and you use the term crypto terrestrials here and there. And I hope the audience is aware of Jacques Vallée's book, Passport to Magonia. It's a classic. To quote this piece, you write, In the cosmologies of many indigenous tribes, we find a system of worlds arranged vertically or architecturally. There are worlds above and below. The earth is a floor for us, but a roof for those beneath. Magonia is one such world, an aerial fairy realm whose inhabitants are known to have an intermediate resonance, hailing from a realm of lesser density, bodies composed of air. Their high dimensionality doesn't always translate. The technology of their ships seems to produce meteorological effects, including lightning and hail, leading them to be maligned as tempestari or storm wizards, since the frequency of their continuum is constantly subject to fluctuation. Their craft often appear to merge or dissolve into clouds. The Magonians are an example of sky people, a European version of a nearly universal folklore. However, in Europe, that knowledge was actively suppressed by church officials. 
with a probability bordering on certainty, the geometrical figures known as crop circles are navigational markers for Magonian sky sailors. Their complex geometrical patterns form a kind of hyper-dimensional anchor point, which can be seen regardless of Magonian's volatile resonance. Various trance states, psilocybin, LSD, or reading this article, can facilitate mutual communication with these beings, but also harbors in them the danger of being carried off to Magonia, which should be an extremely unpleasant, mostly lethal experience, since humans usually are not suited to exist in a world with erratic vibrational frequencies. I mean, that is so well written, but I don't know how literally I should be taking what you're saying. Can you elaborate on these sky beans a bit more? I've had a lot of guests use that term plasma. I like that we're going in this direction, that they seem to be plasma or electrically based, but how do these sky beans and their world fit into your wider construction of reality? Right, so... I would have to say that I use a metaphor here. So there are people that are known as targeted individuals, right? Sure. And what happens is their perception shifts and they're seeing two different worlds simultaneously, right? Sometimes, sometimes they're being tracked by you know, government agencies, that does happen. But I think a lot of the times what happens, and this is also people that, you know, people say they have schizophrenia. That's a, I don't believe in that. I think that's a made up thing. What usually happens is you're actually seeing something real, but then it will behave in a way that's impossible. For example, maybe you'll see a helicopter in the sky, right? And then there is an actual helicopter there, but then your experience of it it's unnatural. The helicopter moves too quickly. It gets too close to you. Nobody else can see how close it is. It has all of these strange behaviors. It has an aura. Maybe the the light changes. And maybe there's, you know, of course, different psychic effects where you can feel something and there's like an after effect. And it's very close and very similar in a lot of ways to a UFO experience. There's a lot of the same markers there. The same data points occur. So that's basically what's happening with regard to people seeing skyships. You're able to sort of shift your perception slightly, and that's why it appears like ghostly and everything. But all of these things are sort of happening all the time. It's just you're seeing a sort of deeper aspect of it because, you know, for you in that moment, the veil is thinner. Mm -hmm. You're not as the hardening of the senses and the psychic numbing that's caused by, you know, the man-made foods and man-made activities. You haven't fully biomechanically converged with the mineralization of the senses. So you're able to perceive it in this this other aspect of it. So yeah, a lot of people would just see a strange cloud, fast moving cloud. They wouldn't see the definition of the skyship. And that's why you can see this sort of steady decline of these phenomenon over hundreds of years. You could look at chronologies from a thousand years ago, and there would be skyship sightings 
like every decade, you know, somewhere in Europe or in the world. And yeah, as time progresses or as we sort of, you know, de-evolve and lose touch with that kind of perception, that kind of fluidity, it becomes harder and harder to perceive these things. Mm -hmm. Like we're in just a human man-made bubble and we can't see outside of it. But basically you're saying like in old texts and we have this perception that in the past they would say, you know, thunder is angels bowling. And we're like, well, now with our lab coats and our modern experts, we know that it's just because the cold pressure is mixing with the warm front right. and all this kind of stuff. But you're saying there might be an underlying truth to the fact that the things that happen in our sky are effects from activities from something else up there that we don't see. Yeah. I mean, ultimately, you're dealing with, I mean, what every single civilization in the world called the heavens. It's the realm of the gods, of different deities, of angels and demons. And there is a sort of, there's a hierarchy there. There's a structure, a scaffolding that you're dealing with. So in a sort of very straightforward sense, what you're dealing with is a, when you look up into the sky, you're looking at a visionary medium as far as you as an individual, like that's really what's happening. It's a sort of a reflection of your mental state. Hmm. So if you're in the 100% material state, all you're going to see is a black sky, you know, some points of light. You don't really see the full <laughs> planetary light show that's going on all the time or most of the time. It's not like it's people in the past were coming. <laughs> always seeing these things but you know it was just more i would just say it was more diverse the things that they saw the things that came down and that they interacted with sure sure and you are walking right into this next kind of thing i had planned but towards the end of the beyond magonia post is one of my favorite things you've written it's long but you say so here we will deploy our own correct mysticism the sky is the reactive membrane between us and the heavenly realms. In the heavens are angels and devils both. The sky is the screen on which we project our visionary experience. It is what the scrying pool, the television, the black mirror, the screen of your phone pretend to be. The sky, the luminaries, and weather events react to our minds and vice versa. Signs and wonders are the heavens in conversation with the physical world. It is the boundary space between us and higher, less physical realms. If you approach mechanically, this boundary space increases elastically. If you approach etherically, it can contract to psychosomatic, luminal, astral, and morphogenic contact up to and beyond the point of physical change. It may impart blessings, curses, or disappearances. You can enter this sacred space through prayer, worship, and cutting all earthly anchors. It is entirely possible in your astral form or in dreams to visit the palaces of the moon. In reality, I love this part, mechanical approaches with rockets would be encountering a void, and in this void, a suspension of natural law. 
It is a decrease in information, a stretching of the boundary space until it contains nothing. Hence, the decrease in breathable air, the lessening of gravity, and eventually all matter. There is no such thing as a rocket-based approach to, quote, outer space. All the images of planets in science fiction and produced by NASA are esoteric, visionary projections. This idea that heaven's luminaries are in the mechanic void is a confusion of the sacred and profane designed to make you go insane. I just love that. The way you describe mental and mechanical approaches to penetrating the sky, it's just amazing. And there are other posts where you mention casting our will and desires onto the night sky and extracting insight from the reflection. Yeah. Man, how would you help people try to get a sense of what you're saying here and particularly this mechanical approach that we always see. I've had a lot of guests throw shade at NASA for all their CG imagery and stuff, <laughs> but I still am curious what you think is going on there. Well, let me start first through the paragraphs of some things people are going to, their eyes are going to roll in their heads. They're not going <laughs> to hear this stuff. So psychosomatic, luminal, astral, or morphogenetic contact First of all, like you can come into sort of direct contact with the sky, and that is what a sort of abduction by the fairies would be, or an abduction by, you know, quote, UFOs. So, and it's going to affect you physically. You're going to feel it. You're going to have sensations. They might be pleasurable. They might be, you know, horrifically painful. It depends. And also morphogenetic, meaning that it could change you. It could mutate you in some way. Or it could possibly, like you read the old chronologies and it could change if a pregnant woman were to encounter one of these things. You hear all these old stories as well in folklore of women being abducted and coming back pregnant. It could sort of change your progeny, your children. It could have an effect on your sort of your genetic line. So there's that, right? So it has all of these very powerful effects on people. Like you can't just... You know, people try to discount the whole thing with people that have had these experiences, but they are changed by them. I think the problem with what happens is that they create a sort of new age religion around it, which isn't really, it really isn't helpful, I think, a lot of the time. Next one, next part is, yeah, of course, also in your dreams, astral form, you can definitely travel into these other realms into the heavens. Most of the time, that's probably where, you know, if you have a really good dream, a really high fidelity, like very clear, crisp dream, that's probably where you're going. So I think what's happening with NASA is that there is some part of what they're doing that is a kind of ritual. Like they are projecting consciousness by getting people to believe in their view of what's up there, they're getting something out of that. I don't know exactly what, but it's almost the same as, you know, it would be the same as if I got a group of people together, you know, we all went out into the desert and invoked some kind of, you know, mystical experience, invoked some kind of visionary experience. And then I guided that and said, okay, this is what we're going to do. I'm going to, we're going to all focus on the Magonians. You know, we're going to think about skyships and focus on that. And then that sort of would 
guide our intent, guide our consciousness to that realm. So what I think they're doing, I say it here, the brutish moderns, and we should understand modernity as a form of barbarism, of deliberate, directed, planned barbarism. So their science fiction mystery cult, they're summoning or they're zeroing in on a very specific type of spirit and a very specific type of realm, which I think most people would consider, you know, if you look at the visionary materials that they provide or that science fiction provides, it's always like, especially the older that, you know, the farther back you go, if you look at the Alien franchise or, I mean, a lot of the original older sci-fi, a lot of these things were, I mean, they were just demonic, obviously. And they're very grotesque. And they all had a very either parasitic form or a symbiotic, like they want to meld with humankind for some reason. They don't want to just visit. They want to change us. And that's a theme that goes all throughout sci-fi and science fiction. And I don't really separate what NASA does and what, like what's on Star Trek. I believe it's part of the same visionary mission mm -hmm. well i think that's fair to say there's that entry-level point that people make that arthur c clark kind of invented the idea of satellites that yeah there's a lot of stuff in the science fiction that ends up being invented later and there's also weird situations like the titanic there's that book that was written by a guy connected to the military about the titan before that whole event happened, and it's this unsinkable ship that hits an ass or that hits an iceberg and it sinks. So it like rhymes exactly with a real story. And to me, that's some kind of experimentation with playing with reality. I don't know what they're doing, but you do see it a lot in sci-fi that ideas are seated in the consciousness. If you can get a book, you know, out there to the people and make it popular then somehow like things end up popping into reality. Yep. I have done a little bit of research on the history of sci-fi and that's exactly right. I don't have, I kind of lost track of it. It's somewhere around, but Arthur C. Clarke is a big one. And then there's basically all of them. They've predicted so much of the world that we live in. You know, of course you have Brave New World and H.G. Wells, with his world brain book that he had, which was, it was more like political science, but a lot of the things that they write about end up becoming real. Yeah. So, you know, there's the school that it's all suppressed technology, or it's like I'm saying here, it's, it's a visionary experience. And that's, if you look at the origin stories of most of the technology that we have, it's, it's like that. It's people having these visions, very informative visions, you know, very clear, high resolution images of schematics, things like that, of like exactly how to build things. So I think it holds true whenever you look at, you know, the origin stories. Like I just looked at Charles Babbage that he invented like the first computer and he was a practicing medium, you know, right. And he was, you know, basically a mystic. There's a big overlap there, I think, between occultists and scientists sure that is. we have yet to really unpack. And where do they get their ideas, really? 
I don't know, man. Like I haven't, <laughs> I haven't really dove all the way into it. That's one of the things I'm going to do. I'm, I'm writing a series right now. Reality ends here. Yes. And I'm on number two right now, and I'm going to do number three. And in number three, I'm going to go and unpack some of that stuff and bring it more into the psychic realm and the spiritual and occult realm and show how like all of these guys that created our computers and, and all of this technology around, they were, they were not normal people. <laughs> they <laughs> right. were not just like our vision of them, like tech nerds and things like that. They were not like that at all. They were all visionaries. They were all extremely eccentric and they used this very magical poetic language to talk about the things that they were doing. You get this sort of weird impression when you look back and they've got the, you know, the tie and button down shirt and, you know, the thick rim glasses, but that's completely false. It's a meme. Mm -hmm. This stuff makes me think about the 1984 analogy. You know, in my world, everyone's always using the Orwellian 1984 analogy for the direction of the world. And it's like, well, was Orwell prophetic or was he read in or... Are we manifesting that because it's such a potent idea out in the general culture now? It's like a really tricky thing to unpack, like chicken or egg kind of stuff. Yeah, it is for sure. I would lean more towards it being, it creating human weather, right? That's what it's mm. more likely to be. Because it's what we see happening today. And I'm just sort of extrapolating from what I have firsthand experience. I see how they put things out there and they a b test things and you know they do all these little things these sort of mass rituals and, and or whatever you want to call them simulations to like sort of prime the pump and get the mass consciousness ready i do think there is also probably quite a bit of suppressed technology i'm sure that goes on that's just common sense from my point of view <laughs> Yeah, some of my favorite posts of yours are about suppressed technology and the Magic Mirror 1 and 2 series, but man, there's just so much to your work. I wanted to jump over to a real isolated post about the Great Chicago Fire. It's one of my favorite subjects looking into historical events, oftentimes disasters, and analyzing a lot of the details that don't add up with the cultural memory of what might have happened, and also sometimes speak to high technology that shouldn't be there. Charles Fort covered some great cases of this, and it does make you feel like we are the property of something far more advanced and hidden from the main stage. But to kick off this post, you write, was the Great Chicago Fire the result of a deliberate attack from crypto-terrestrial or breakaway civilization airships? Was it the wrath of God delivered onto a city that was filled with debauched fiends? What's certain is that the truth of the Great Chicago Fire has been suppressed by our vile elites, perhaps because it was their own horrendous crime. Did they simply have foreknowledge of these catastrophes, or could they summon them somehow? These are the questions I will answer. First, we must establish that the given narrative is unreliable or incomplete. The most obvious clue we have is the total lack of a fire signature on many of the buildings and rubble. History tells us of a firestorm that erupted in Chicago, but we see little signs among the ruins. We even see white paper signs untouched by flames. Man, this is right up my alley. It makes me very curious. You also note that nearly every single North American city had a major 
or Great Fire over a 150-year period, all of them with strange anomalies. You say no one has done a deep dive on all the fires. There is yet only surface-level speculation fielded towards the meta-conspiracy. Well, help me make some sense of this and recontextualize it in accordance to the details that are often omitted or glossed over. Yeah, I looked into this. I think this is something that I think a lot of people that are into Tartaria, that's where I first probably saw it. And I wanted to figure out what actually happened. And there's a few different events where you look at it, you can see that cultural memory just sort of it just loses touch with it very very quickly and one of those things is the great chicago fire and also the sort of the pastigo fire as well that that's connected to that so let's see yeah you could look at this as a sort of summoning ritual like the way that if you want to look at what I was saying before, like you could do a sort of a summoning ritual or you might know something is going to happen and sort of direct that energy in different ways. I think it's completely possible that, you know, small localized plasma events happen and they're just completely suppressed or ignored. And part of the reason for that is because we don't have the right model for understanding things we just people just think it's a fire or they think of it as an earthquake or something but they're not actually because the paradigm isn't correct all of the information isn't recorded or even perceived mm -hmm. so a lot of these things get written down as or tornado or this or that but in a big one like the chicago fires and the Pastigo fires which covered three or four states and you have all of this testimony that was taken from that, such as the fire balloons. Let me read about the fire balloons from here. An ominous roaring sound was first heard. The balls of fire, like meteors, fell in different parts of the town, igniting where whatever they touched. Shortly after, a horrible tornado enveloped everything in fire, smoke, hot sand, and cinders. So the order that things happen in will sometimes be reversed, right? They'll say there was a tornado, there was a fire tornado that was causing burning material to fly up in the air and then fall to earth. But in actuality, if you look at the source documents, you see that the meteors fell first, the balls of fire, and then tornadoes would erupt out of the collision into the ground. Which, to me, what I'm looking at is electrical phenomenon. All of this seems like huge electrical storms. You know, basically a, a plasma event that all of these things are sort of a subset of. Here we have, your readers may wonder what I mean by fire balloons, and I confess that I hardly know myself, right? I only use the term because it's so frequently used by others in conversation with me. There you have right there, there's eyewitness testimony, and he's basically saying the semiosphere that we have, the sphere of signs and symbols that helps us to interpret what's happening around us, is incomplete. It's not rich enough for me to tell you what actually happened, but he does his best, right? All the survivors with whom I conversed said that the whole sky seemed filled with dark, round masses of smoke 
about the size of a large balloon, which traveled with fearful rapidity. These balloons would fall to the ground, burst, and send forth a most brilliant blaze of fire, which would instantly consume everything in the neighborhood. And these sound like plasma balls, which is something that when you research spontaneous combustion, you will run into that as well. Yeah. You'll run into sort of these just balls of plasma, and they're called different things, will-o'-wisps, fatus morgana, uh, fatus ignis. And they have all these different properties, and sometimes they behave with, with agency or intelligence, or they seem to anyway. So, yeah, I believe that's probably what's happening, but it may also be possible for there to be some kind of technology that causes this to happen, mm -hmm. that brings it about and enables them to sort of target to a certain degree. Because, you know, like I say elsewhere, this happens to every single city and it's all of this old architecture. And this just didn't happen in America. This happened everywhere, right? And those cities that escaped this destruction, this era, this like 100 years of destruction, were later on communists would go in and have this deliberate policy of destroying all these old buildings for a completely unrelated reason. But yeah, they would be raised to the ground. And it was, I think, for the same reason. It was the same purpose behind it was this sort of enforced, planned barbarism, you know, that they kind of wanted to traumatize the population and create this sort of you know, look at the architecture that came into its place, you know, just these sort of cube spheres, you know, brutalistic architecture. It's all very anti-human. If you look at it, if you sped up, if you did a time lapse and you looked at any American city, it would honestly look like we were invaded by aliens. <laughs> it would just... <laughs> It's this completely, because you can see how it progresses, how architecture changes, and it slowly, slowly, organically develops over time. And then suddenly, within a span of 100 years, it's just these alien glass and steel structures everywhere that everyone really hates, and they aren't conducive to human life in any way. Yeah. And they're not even economic. You know, it's just, they make no sense. Yeah, everything's gridded roads and skyscrapers. And then you look at the past when they had way less technology and tool use, and it's like, holy shit, everything is like a piece of art. Every building yeah. is a piece of art as well. And uh, it's, it's really wild. And there's just so many things you mentioned there that are interesting. I looked into spontaneous human combustion last year, too, which was such a synchronicity because who's talking about that? Who's looking into that? But those cases are really insane. Yeah. They are not people falling asleep in a chair or their bed with a cigarette in their mouth. They're really, really wild. And I just love this quote from Charles Fort that you put in that piece where he says, I think that our data relate not to spontaneous combustion of human bodies, but to things or beings that with a flaming process consume men and women. It's like, holy shit, that's just that's just great. But uh, in terms of the Chicago fire and the reporting of it at the time, you also included this article from the Chicago Evening Post, the 16th of November, 1871, right in the newspaper. It says, while large balls of fire were revolving 
and bursting in every direction, igniting everything they came in contact with, there can be no doubt that the air charged with electricity helped on the work of destruction and death. Mr. A. Kirby says he saw large bodies or balls of fire in the air, and when they came in contact with anything, they would bound 30 or 40 rods away. Others testify that they saw large clouds of fire burst into fragments, and in some instances, great tongues of fire, like lightning, would issue from these dark clouds and light upon the buildings. Pennies were melted in the pockets of persons who were but little burned. A small bell upon an engine and a new stove, both standing from 20 to 40 feet from any building, were melted. And that's very, very wild. You also note that a lot of key infrastructure like railroads and the mansions of the elite were not harmed in this event. So there does seem to be maybe a possibility of directing it or having some foreknowledge because it didn't seem like random rolls of the dice or a random really bad storm or hurricane or something. There's like an intelligence to it and it avoided things that it might have been asked to avoid. But maybe this is like some demon made of plasma that just yeah. ran amok. But yeah. it also reminds me not to get too thorny here, but if you read Dr. Judy Wood's book about 9-11, she is laser focused on one specific thing. She doesn't care about the politics or who did it. She wants to know how these towers fell. And she analyzes a lot of really specific little things. And the line about pennies melting in pockets of people who were not really harmed, that rhymes so well with what she would say. She's like, look, these little holes were created here while this isn't damaged at all. Like, no one really did that nuanced deep dive. She thinks it was some kind of technology, some technology that is hidden from humanity that did this. And they said planes flew into it. So again, it's like, when we look at this old stuff and it's like, well, where are the modern examples? That could be one of an exotic technology used on us in a way that all we have to go on is the story they tell us. And it seems like the Chicago fire is similar in a way. Definitely. I honestly don't know. I don't know if it was technology or if it was something more occult or if it was a combination of the two. It could have been a a few different techniques that were used and it might have depended on the I want to do a research project on all <laughs> on all of the events, all of the cities, but I'm going to need I'm probably going to need like you know some help with that because that's going to be a big like a year long project. <laughs> well, I'm sure if you want to crowdsource it, a lot of people listening would be keen to get involved. For sure. I want I really want to get to the bottom of that. But there is here a quote that makes it sound like it was some kind of technology. Here's one thing that might show that it was. A number of these persons assert that they witnessed a phenomenon which may be classed with the marvelous. They saw a large black object resembling a balloon, which object revolved in the air with great rapidity, advancing above the summits of the trees toward a house, which it seemed to single out for destruction. Barely had it touched the latter when the balloon burst with a loud report like that of a bombshell. And at that moment, rivulets of fire streamed out in all directions. Barely had it touched the ladder when the balloon burst forth. Yeah, that to me sounds like some kind of guided weaponry. 
Right. And the official story of this event is that a horse knocked over a lantern and burned the whole city. So let's <laughs> throw that out there just so people are aware that the official story is completely bogus. And this was a very, very weird event. Maybe we were attacked from the higher realms. That was, yeah. Or honestly, like you could see why it would be suppressed if it was some kind of entity that was rampaging because we had just newly settled this area or, you know, there were a lot of people dying in this area at this time, just living. What if whatever came was just attracted to all the death in Chicago at this time, all of the poor people that were just, you know, there was just human carnage. Mm. Who knows? But yeah, I would like to get to the bottom of it. But yeah, that's how you know, though, that there is, it's not just a suppression of an event. There's also this kind of like contempt because they put that story out there, that ridiculous story of a cow kicking over a candle. And if you just read half this article or a third of it, you see how far that is from reality. It's just, <laughs> it's just so absurd. Yes. And so I had a few other examples of little isolated incidents that kind of helped to build the bigger picture of this like real continuum of lies and false history and hoaxes. And we're almost an hour in already. So I just, before we close the first hour, I just wanted to maybe get a bird's eye view of the timeline of humanity and ask you a bit more about how the elite use the structures and the relationship between consciousness and reality and our desire for narrative against us. Because we started with, you know, what is the real basis for reality and its relationship with consciousness? Well, it seems like the elite have this mapped out pretty well and they have weaponized it against us. And you talk about narratives versus like the divine reality. You talk about switching timelines and you talk about their need for us to participate. And I think that's all really interesting. So like, what is the broad view of how the elite over time have weaponized reality and some of the mechanisms that were just kind of embedded with and reign supreme over us? How did they get to the position that they're in? And stay there. And stay there. Okay, let's look at these events, right? You have different catastrophes. You have a process of people that are, let's say, because the environment is changing, let's say there's less energy available, that sort of electrical plasma environment that you know, we probably used to live in with a lot more phenomenon happening a lot. It would be hard or impossible to deny that, you know, there was more to the world than what was in front of us. But as time progresses, I guess it just gets easier and easier to sort of control people completely mechanically. Let's think of it like this. You have this sort of accelerating effort to make humans forget where they are and where they come from. You have sort of a mass amnesia. And one of the things that I believe that's causing us to goblinize, as I say, 
is the diet. And that started with grain, shifting from a meat-based and, you know, sort of wild, natural diet to this sort of grain-based and really strange, unnatural, repetitive activities, which sort of kill you psychically, right? Like psychically numb you and castrate you, make it unable for you to sort of pierce the veil. The reason why you put these man-made foods out there is to grow the population. It's for more power. It's to secure yourself physically. Because the same process that's happening to us is also happening to them. They're afraid of dying. You see that with the transhumanists now, the people that are in charge of everything now. It's the same motivation. They're doing all of this research, all these human experiments. It's for control but for control so that they can sort of stave off death or at least immortalize themselves in some way, you know, through their control of, of the environment. It's their way of coping with things. So I, I see it like that. I see this process of just diminishing consciousness, diminishing psychic potency, right? Because you wake up in the day and we're all in, in this sort of kind of just a, a very passive, very receptive state. And then as you gain energy, as your metabolism powers up, you get some sunlight, you get this ability to sort of enact upon your environment and sort of cut through nonsense. But some people don't wake up fully. They don't completely, you know, gain consciousness throughout the day. They, they just sort of, they get depressed, they get sad because at no point did they do they rev themselves up enough? Do they get their psychometabolism up to a high enough point to where they could just sort of change something in their in their environment, in their world, and, and create like this small miracle? And once you do that a couple times, even in a small way, like you change the field of probability and you can get something, you're like, oh, wow, I didn't know I could do that. You know, you amp yourself up enough, you sort of, are able to see through that. But when your diet and your habits, your rituals, or you're not, you don't even have rituals, your habits are just like watching TV and eating man-made or altered food. You know, it's not natural. It's not the complete thing that you need. You're not doing the things you need to do, like, like hunting or being outside. <laughs> it's as simple as that. Looking at the looking at the stars and knowing it's not the void, just like mm -hmm. that, you know, feeling the world around you in a sort of feeling that ether that you're in dropping into it. So, yeah, I think that, I mean, I kind of rambled a little bit there, but, but that's because I've never really tried to explain this before. Yeah. It's hard to put into words. It really is, which is why I do the long form, but let me see if I can be a little bit more concise and sum it up. So yeah, that's the essence of it. Just sort of getting your cycle. I think metabolism, like the physical, you know, lifting weights, being active. Not just as a means to like look better or, you know, whatever, do something with your body, but to get your psychic level up to a point where you can use that energy to change things around you in a very like, in a very visceral, direct way. That's what all of these systems are keeping you from doing. The food, 
the entertainment, the kinds of work that are here. So yeah, you know, just try to overcome those things. And once you do, you can see, oh, okay, they're just afraid of dying. You see what's behind all of these things. An escape into necromancy and into wrapping themselves into technology to try to preserve the flesh and try to stave off all of the things that they're afraid of. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it kind of reminds me of Leonardo da Vinci's Vitruvian Man, the idea of microcosm, macrocosm, and divine proportion, and the phi ratio, and all this sort of stuff that seems to be the divine code that we have completely ignored. And instead of building amazing sacred geometrical cathedrals, we build skyscrapers and we've just totally lost any aesthetic value to life or we're just fooled by the razzle dazzle of Hollywood and we think that is true art and it really isn't. There's a couple of quotes here I have where you do speak of this. You say, the real system of governance is not democracy or even oligarchy. It is this cybernetic management system, the theater of consciousness. And you also say, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. These are the lines of code that created a false reality, a place that does not exist, a place you were born, a cursed plane of emptiness and abstraction where all inherent quality, the genius and beauty and sacrifice of your ancestors is leveled down to a self-germinating void, an empty, floating signifier pointing to itself. Therein lies the aim of all their toiling. This is why everything is based on hoaxes, delusions, frauds, virtual realities. To cultivate artificial life, a being that is disconnected from the organic environment and disconnected from the vital impulse of creation. I mean, boom, there it is. Yeah, there, I said it a lot better there. (laughs) (laughs) Which is why I write, but thank you for having me on and practicing talking about this stuff in a, in a sort of more dynamic setting. Absolutely. Absolutely. And finally, you know, before I let you go, we have talked about some pretty incredible things, the depth of the manipulation of man through history and the corralling of us into this dead husk of a reality tunnel by the jester archons of the infinite hoax, as you put it. And we know a new great reset operation is upon us. The dial on PSYOPs is firmly in the red. Well, we kind of talked about this a little bit, but since I'm going to tack this on to both the free and plus versions of the show, I want everyone to hear like some final thoughts in terms of how do we best navigate what seems like it's going to be an intense decade? What might you describe as the actionable intelligence in your work? Okay, so one of the things that I talk about a lot is it's a concept that Patrick Ryan, he coined the term psychosecurity, but I have my own version of it. I believe that, that I kind of have a cheat code of my own. The reason why I'm like good at what I do and finding the research is because I have natural intuition and I've thought a lot about it and done a lot of introspection. And I'm pretty sure that arises from what people call blood memory. And I think that the way to awaken, or you could call it Akashic memory or whatever you want to call it, the way that you get that 
is through rituals and they should be rituals that resonate with you in this world that your ancestors practiced you shouldn't just make up something you know so you know for me that would probably be you know certain catholic rituals putting meaning into that and everything you do habitually becomes your ritual and your consciousness proceeds out of those rituals it's what you have like who you are proceeds from those rituals and i think it changes it changes everything for you as far as how you integrate with these machines with these systems because i don't think there's any way to really like run away and do the luddite thing you know live in the mountains this is going to be everywhere right ultimately there's no way to get away so my point of view the only way out is through mm. and that's just to you know be completely anchored in the physical reality in the in your own psychic reality in the divine and have rituals that align you with those spaces with those spheres of action so for the physical it's going to be like lifting weights going outside running around doing something physical play you know for the mental it's going to be you know try to read a book or just well, i just sit in the sun and just blank my mind out i don't even know if it's meditation but it works you know it's just <laughs> just blank out and you know sit there yeah whatever it is it has to be the thing that is the most rooted in you not just you as an individual but you as a part of this like living chain that goes back to the creation of this world and that's going to be you know sort of ancestral rituals like and i don't just say do the the catholic stuff i also try to you know look at some pagan rituals as well mm -hmm. and that can be you know grilling meat it can be something really simple so yeah psychosecurity keeping your rituals making sure that the things you do are meaningful and then also like when you go online it's really important to not log on in the first two hours of the day or before your metabolism is keyed up there's something called doom scrolling that a lot of people do it's like there's like heavy doom scrolling yeah. and light doom scrolling heavy doom scrolling is like where people just completely lose hours of their day and they're on twitter and they're just going down and they're, they're really depressed and it turns them into what i call like a void tweeter where they're just shouting into the void or you can do that with youtube or any social media you just start doom scrolling through it and then there's like light doom scrolling, which is what most people do. They veg out and watch YouTube videos and they use social media in a very passive way. It's not generative. They don't go on and they don't like have a mission. They're like, okay, I want this kind of information or I want this kind of experience in this space. They don't take it seriously. Mm -hmm. They're just letting their time get chewed up by the time eaters <laughs> you could think of the simio creatures that we talked about before you could think of them in that in that sense of being these attendant entities that are hungry for that which is most precious like us going online and doom scrolling with this weird vegetative intention of just like giving our time over to them it could be seen as a sacrifice you know mm. very powerful potent ritual that 
empowers them, but leaves us like husks. Right. That to me is like the real matrix metaphor, the real battery metaphor. That's what you're empowering. You're empowering these, you know, virtual, virtual worlds and virtual entities. So that's my method. Psychosecurity. I'm going to give Patrick Ryan credit for coining it, but all of the rest of the ideas about doom scrolling, that's all mine. That's my homebrew version of that, of how to stay sane through the next alternate reality game that's coming down the pipeline. Yeah, so well said. And it's kind of like you have to put yourself first because we are void of ritual. And in that void is the doom scrolling and all this stuff. So go back to culture, heritage, bloodline, honor the ancestors, go back to prayer, consciously steer yourself towards your goals and fortify your mind and body. And when you do those things, there's not a whole lot of time left in the day for doom scrolling. But if you put the doom scrolling first, you never get to the things that matter. So yeah, I think there's a lot of wisdom in that. But amazing stuff. I'm very grateful that you agreed to do this. We didn't even talk about California as an island or out-of-place artifacts or the Hindenburg disaster hoax, but I hope we can do it again sometime in the future if the people respond like I think they will. Give them your links or any other follow-up info you might want them to have before we call it in. Yeah, I'm on Twitter at... Uh, oh, I forgot my Twitter handle. Real Human Schwab, I think. Real Human Schwab. That's so crazy. <laughs> Real Human Schwab, that's me. I'm on Twitter. And then um, my Substack is Schwabstack. So Schwabstack at Schwabstack. Amazing. Yes, people will really enjoy going down the Schwabstack rabbit hole if they choose to. But this is just a taste. And you are something special, man. I really appreciate your time and what you do. Keep fighting the good fight and take care. Thanks a lot, man. Thank you very much. Have a good night. And a good night he did have. Yes, people. <laughs> the real human Schwab in the flesh. <laughs> you know, I like to keep the lineup pretty diverse and cover a large array of topics, but this kind of stuff is my favorite. And I can't believe the material we left on the table. Schwab's Substack is just my favorite, and there's so many posts we could focus interviews on. There's a handful of Substacks I've been following and really enjoying, but Schwab just nails it. I'm into his whole vibe, his subject matter, his writing style, his anonymous nature, and his choice to use the guy from Twin Peaks as an avatar. Just all around, I'm a fan. Two of his best pieces are actually about the Hindenburg disaster, false flag, and the devastating loss of that technology. I mean, really, you got to take a look at the pictures of what this was like and then ask yourself why one disaster killed off an entire technology forever. Is that true for trains or ships like the Titanic or planes or anything else? I mean, even a handful of them shouldn't be enough to lock something up until the end of time. But the other one would be his post about California being an island on a ton of old maps with an island of giants in the middle before you get to the mainland. And really, that's all next time material, but if you guys liked this, you gotta let the man know. Shower him with praise, and how could he not want to come back?
because I'm assuming that a lot of you guys are primarily in it for wild stuff like this. And let me just read two quick paragraphs that I still have in my notes that I didn't ask him to elaborate on because we ran out of time, but I think you'll like. We are truly in a mirror reality, the city of the Magi. It has revealed itself to be false many times over. Somehow we're led into this labyrinth through a smoking mirror into an image that at first mimicked a faithful copy of the sacred living earth. Fascinated by this reflection of the divine cosmic imagination, we fell across the threshold into this strange sublunar realm. In order for us to rewild our minds, restore our senses, and return to the sacramental order, we shall find the mythical edge of this world made of words. So I say here is the way. The first telling of a tale is the truest. Hmm, I really like that. And he goes on to say, The modern man has been boiled in the dark waters of materialism. He believes in things like self-creating universes and self-birthing organisms. The god of modernity is a masturbating dragon wrapping itself ever tighter around the rational mind. In the middle of that Ouroboros is your conscious reality, constrained on all sides by a state of disenchantment, the germ of wonder sterilized, all arranged by powerful men that were fully enchanted, that practiced magic and used it to construct this current global order, preserving for themselves a belief in a vast, divinely constructed cosmos. Since at least the 15th century, a network of hostile economic elites have been working to transform humanity into a programmable golem. Openly celebrating their own efforts, you simply insist on forgetting because you are insane, seduced by the theater of the present. <sighs> Fucking A, right? <laughs> but speaking of my notes, the outline auction is still happening. I got about a hundred up there, and there's still a good number of them that don't have any bids. So if you're not picky, but you still wanted one, that could be a good thing. Although the ones people want, they really want. Some are getting up there, but three days left in the auction at this point, and a new batch coming online just before the first one ends. I didn't want to bring a laptop up to Mount Shasta, but I kind of have to to get this done. Hopefully I see some THC fans up there. It's going to be a good weekend, but a long drive for me. I think it's a little over 11 hours, and that's just the state of California for you but it will be nice to drive through one more time before the long goodbye. But I tell you this because there will be a slight gap in shows. I should have one back from our editor waiting for me when I return, but I'm going to need some time because the day after I get back, I have an interview I've been dying to get for years, actually. And thanks to our buddy Ron Patton, producer of Ground Zero, who used to co-host a few THCs with me back in the old, old, old days, Thanks to him, it looks like it's finally happening. <laughs> I never celebrate until we're actually pressing record because just having something on the schedule is never a guarantee. I've learned that long ago. But if it happens, I think people will be quite surprised and excited for it. This is a guy who would have a star on the Conspiracy Walk of Fame. Let's just say that. But once I get that recorded, I will get back to turning good stuff around to you. Also, I gotta thank Chasing Maxwell for his rendition of today's theme song. 
I liked this one and thought it sort of had an 8-bit or video game kind of sound, and that's appropriate for this show, especially if you heard the second hour. And if you are musically inclined, I would love to hear a take of your own at thehiresidechats at gmail.com. I don't have many left in the chamber, so I'm just going to go back to randomizing them, I guess. I wish I had a ska one. I wish I had a piano one or really just a couple from every genre eventually, I think would be the goal. I can always just pay for more from people who don't really have the passion and it shows. <laughs> or I can plug your band or your SoundCloud or whatever you got. But as far as the Plus Show goes, man, this whole episode was stuffed, and I basically have enough left for a part two just from the same outline. But in the second hour, we talked about Schwab's deep dive into MK Ultra, and that is a Chris Knowles level deconstruction, dare I say. We talked about cybernetics and the psychic component, ARGs and phantom mega events. Schwab's take on the World's Fairs and the last reset of sorts. Video games as divinatory medium, digital clones, Zork, military intelligence, parapsychology, and gamified teleconferencing. Gamified reality in general. The secret history of strange magic mirror technology and the divine design of life. Just a real blast all around. I thought it was a really good framing of the constant operations that are being thrown at us as being like an ARG or being like a LARP that we've been kind of conditioned to play games. And so they present stories to us with like action items and we all just get on board. Interesting stuff, but sign up for Plus at thehiresidechats.com and kick it all off with a seven-day free trial. This would certainly be one of the ones to do it for. It's not like he's on 50 other podcasts either, right? But before we call it in, we always got to take a peek at the THC meetup calendar. Just going to plug the February events again. But we got the Hire Soup meetup with Gordon White, at Foxglove in Wellington, New Zealand, February 11th, this Saturday, and also this Saturday, an event in Mount Pillar, Vermont. The 15th, we got the Seattle Inquisition coming around again. This is at least four or five for them, I think. And the Sinspiracy Monthly Number 2, February 17th, Blue Ash Recreation Center in the Hunt Room in Blue Ash, Ohio. So not too late to add more to that last week of February. If you got a light calendar, let's get something on the books. Hop over to HiresideMeetups.com, make an event. It's easy. I'll read it and people will show up. And if you hear about one in your area, please use the RSVP system so the host knows that they won't be alone. It's just good manners and I think good manners we must have. But it's fun. Meet other locals that you know are of a certain caliber and build out your network of people who also know the value of doing so. And that's pretty much it. Shoot Schwab a hi there and hello on Twitter at RealHumanSchwab. He also does occasional spaces there too, which can be themed or kind of like live Q&As about his work. 
And if it sounds like you'd enjoy reading his work, sign up for his Substack at schwabstack.substack.com and tell him the Carlwood sent you. Well, I gotta go. I am hitting the road bright and early, but I'll see you next week. I've done my part. Your move, plasma weapon wielders, upper plane entities, and jester archons of the infinite hoax. Your fucking move. From space it was falling, its light started calling, it's making crop circles again. Just as I was looking up, it showed me all the hidden stuff, and now I'm all enlightened and zen. Waking up the masses is hard, silver ships are coming yard by yard. Now I'm not asleep, don't obey the elite, gotta be to the head. Now I start to wonder, now we're not the sheep that they bred us to be, gotta be to the head. Now we start to wonder, now we start to wonder. See a new paradigm of and crime since the visitors set me straight I encourage you to go when you see the saucers glow one by one we'll all end up awake enlightening the masses is hard silver ships are coming yard by yard now we're not asleep don't obey the elite got a beam to the head now we start to wonder, no we're not the sheep that they bred us to be, got a beam to the head, now we start to wonder, now we start to wonder, now we start to wonder, now we start to wonder. Sky. Just as the system starts to die, cabals hate it when we make it. So they'll break it, and next round they'll erase it. It's a big loop. What can we do? Still, it's time we had another. Cause we're not the sheep that they bred us to be. Got a beam to the head. Now we start to wonder. Now we're You want